Welcome to the Hey, Vicky. Vicky, you may be muted, so you might want to unmute in case. You're, you're right. Thank you. There you go. Both you and Genevieve were muted. <laughs> How are you, Vicky? I'm doing well. Thank you. Good. Good. And we have a special guest today. Dawn, would you be Absolutely. so kind? Absolutely. I am so thrilled. I'm a huge fan of this woman. Um, uh, and, uh, we have been wanting to have, uh, her on the podcast for ages and she finally was able to, to make her schedule match up. Uh, Genevieve, you are muted, but I'd love to introduce Genevieve Vaughn. Sean, can you unmute Genevieve? <laughs> we are unmuted so dawn please absolutely so as i was saying huge fan of this wonderful wonderful human uh genevieve vaughn jen would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners oh okay. well yeah i'm um I'm in Texas, and I live half of the time in Italy, in Rome, and I went there when I was 23, when I married an Italian philosophy professor, and I've spent many years there and had three daughters and then came back to the U.S., got a divorce, and went back, have been going back and forth ever since, so I really have two countries. Um, and in all of this time, when I was, when I went to Italy in the beginning, there was a lot of radical political thinking going on there. And, and my, uh, husband, uh, was in uh, the, um, discipline, new discipline of semiotics, the study of signs and language. And so at the time I learned, uh, a whole lot about um, what language is and what uh, progressive uh, Marxist uh, thinking was at the time. And uh, it, I, it was very a, a wonderful, very stimulating period of my life. And uh, during that time, my husband, who became my ex-husband, was uh, writing about... Um, 
applying Marx's analysis of of money and commodities to language, to understand language by understanding the market. And uh, that was an idea that some people had uh, invited him to collaborate on. And I was just bowled over by that idea. And so I worked on it too for a long time. And then uh, at a certain point, because I had little children, um, I decided it couldn't be the market that language was like. Uh, It was because little children learned language and they didn't know anything about the market. They didn't know anything about exchanging money for goods. Right. Uh, And, uh, you know, I said, well, these people are, are, are poor. And they said, why are they poor? Well, they don't have money. Well, then why don't they just go to the bank? <laughs> so, so I realized there must be something other, you see, some other kind of economy. And then I realized that what I was doing as their mother, as nurturing them, giving to them free whatever it was that they needed, as all mothers have to do, because children can't give you back in exchange for what you've given them. Um, uh, That in itself is an economy. And that's the basic economy that then language was like. And that the market is a distortion of. So we have a first level, you know, of, uh, of, of giving and receiving. And then on top of it, there's overlaid this market which actually contradicts it because it says, I'm not going to give you this unless you give me that. Right. So uh, I have been working on the idea of this. I wrote some articles about it many years ago, right? In the early eighties. And then I came back to the United States after I got my divorce and I tried I set up a foundation and tried to practice it and um, wrote, uh, a number of things uh, in, in, in the 90s, my first book, Forgiving, A Feminist Criticism of Exchange was published. And then after that, I have also published a number of other books and many articles. And uh, in um, 2001, I was invited to um, go to Norway to a group that was called the Wise Women's Council, I believe. And it was uh, women from all over the world had been invited by this uh, uh, Norwegian parliamentarian to come and discuss what ought to be done. And so I came and I talked to them about my uh, ideas about the gift economy. And a number of them uh, embraced the idea and then I, a lot of other women were involved also in this foundation that I had started and others. This is the Foundation for a Compassionate Society? Right. Yes. yes. Okay. And then in, in other things I had done and people I had met. And so we started a group called the uh, Femin- International Feminists for a Gift Economy. And uh, then after that, we did a number of other many things. We went to many different uh, meetings and um, had many different meetings and and, and have tried to um, 
to promote the idea. And uh, now we're doing a, 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 a series of um, salons or uh, talking uh, sessions. Salons, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay. I'd call them that. Yeah. Um, on Zoom, every two weeks we do one and we have it. It's called the Maternal Gift Economy Movement dot org and we uh and we discuss various aspects of the gift economy and and um lots of women come and there uh, we also have usually uh one two women who are the main speakers and then there's questions and answers and so forth so it is um it's a very uh cool uh kind of uh way of talking about the gift economy and making it clearer you know that the the there there is after let's say the year 2000 and after capitalism has been called into question a lot by its very failures in these many years yes um people have gotten more interested in the gift economy and they, a lot of people are theorizing it and men are too like charles eisenstein and other and others who have been writing about the gift economy, but uh, they don't put the mothering into it. Right. Yes. And they so, try. They divorce it entirely from the feminine roots yeah, of it. Right. Yeah. They don't. They really don't see that there is this other maternal economy, and that even we practice as adults, and that they, when they do the gift economy, they need to re- recognize the maternal in themselves. So, yes, yes. Jen, Jen, can I ask you a question? I know that uh, Zon and I had talked before, and we certainly want to focus on the, the gift economy aspect as we talk today. But I was curious, I'd mentioned it on, I was really curious about what you'd mentioned in the beginning, how this all started with uh, semiotics. And so I just wonder if you could just say a little bit, a little bit about what that was in terms of what, what you meant by language having been distorted. Um, by uh, by a sort of capitalism, so that Marxist critique. So, what was what was your thought, your theory about what language was like in terms of its matriarchal aspects? I guess we could call it. If you you, you tell yeah. me, and then how was that distorted? Because I'm just I'm curious because Don and I have been playing around with the idea of doing an episode on sort of patriarchal aspects of language baked into words as we use them on every day. So, this is a topic that's just as generally of interest. Well, I think uh, linguistics is also patriarchal, but all of all of philosophy is patriarchal, and it's also been influenced by the abstraction of money and capitalism. So, uh, linguists and philosophers of language don't look for the maternal in language. Uh, they they see it based on abstract structures. Instead, I think that gift, uh, gifting is also the basis of language. We communicate by giving and receiving, and mothers do that with little children. That's our first communication. Our, our It's material communication in that we satisfy the physical needs of the child, and so that makes the child grow. And between the two of us is established a relationship. Uh, the child recognizes the mother and the mother 
recognizes and gives value to the child by nurturing the child. And in language, I think it, we have taken this pattern or what I call a schema of gifting, and we've put it into a relation between words, and then we've given those words to each other. So in when you're saying, um, for example, the red ball, you give the word red to the word ball, and the word ball receives it, and that's how the two of them merge. And merge is the way words stick together is what Chomsky, uh, the great linguist and political um, mind, uh, says is the, the, the very basis the, of, of language itself, this idea of merge, of words being able to modify each other or stick together. And he thinks that came from a genetic mutation way back in our uh, pre, uh, pre-hominid times. Uh, but in fact, I think that it happens because we are nurtured <laughs> as children, as babies, and we grow up in that pattern. And so we can project that pattern into the words themselves, and that then um, is internalized, and we are able to give them to each other because we, both the speaker and the listener, receive that pattern from their mothers, and they um, are able to do it themselves when they learn to speak. Jan? Yes? Do you think there's a possibility, I'm so ignorant about these things, I hope this isn't a silly question, but when you're talking about Chomky's idea of the genetic mutation and then your uh, understanding of uh, it being nurturing, to me it seems possible that they could both have happened, that there could have been from the nurturing patterns laid down by our hominid ancestors. Uh, Couldn't both things have happened? Could there have been a, I think it's possibly interesting that there could have been a genetic mutation that came from the nurturing. (laughs) Well, maybe, you know, that the, the, the important genetic mutation was the one where where we started to walk on two feet and then our um, our bone structure was too narrow to allow a, the big head of the baby to come out. Yes, right. And so babies had to have uh, smaller heads, and so they had to develop their brains more after birth than before. Yes, and so they were unable to to. Uh, to live, basically. Right. Yeah, to, to survive, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so they had to be very intensely nurtured. Yes. Right? And, uh, and no, evidently no other animals have that uh, necessity of such a long period after birth. Right. And that allowed also for what, the epigenetics to, to kick in and uh, for the experience of the child to be codified into the brain and into which parts of the brain uh, started to work and at, at which particular times. So the experience of the of being nurtured was uh, registered in the child's brain. And, and now the 
interpersonal neuropsychologists talk about that as like for example daniel siegel says that the experience actually sculpts the neural pass pathways of the child right and later on of the adult too yeah but that's so, it's different about I mean, one of the many things that are, that's different about bonobos and chimps and humans is what you're talking about, the upright posture. And that didn't happen to the bonobos and chimps. And so the bonobos are very nurturing. Nurturing must have already been in our makeup. Um, but, but then we had a whole different future given the upright posture and the bipedalism and the, and the birthing. Right. And, and, uh, and the long period of nurturing, uh, um, and this epigenetic, um, development. So I think that is the reason why we developed language, uh, rather than as we have and the gift giving it, because it's based on gift giving and receiving, which also was done in many different ways possibly more than the bonobos did, you know, as we then developed fire and cooking and all of these yes. things and, uh-huh. and gathering and, and hunting and so on. Uh-huh. So, so we had a lot of different kinds of gifting activities. And then we were, we began to do it verbally or vocally uh, instead of just uh, physically. Yeah. And, and, yeah. I think about one of the first things that that uh, you know my my friends who have had children. It's like when the baby's crying, the first thing you ask them is, "What do you want?" Uh-huh. Right. So uh-huh. that that development of language is in part to be able to tell people what is needed, so that they can give it to us, yeah. and and to ask you know ask of the 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 dependent child what you need so that we can give it to you yeah. there there is this um yeah i mean i often say to my dogs you know why can't you tell me what you need <laughs> <laughs> because they can't but humans can humans can and uh, but babies can't until they get right. to a certain age and um and that means that mothers motherers, whoever is taking care of the baby, uh, has to uh, pay a lot of attention to the child. You know, you have to, and you have to think about uh, how long has it been since she ate? Might she um, have a dirty diaper? Might she be cold? You Uh know, is she just tired? All these various kinds of things. So you have to sort of put yourself in the place of the child and be very attentive to the needs. And I think if that is a part of the way we understand how to talk to each other, because we have to know what the other person doesn't know. So we have to tell them words that we know they are going to understand. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so there's a, it's a way of um, recreating at a much higher level the nurturing that the or more complicated level anyway the nurturing that goes on between mothers and children, which is what anthropologists call parental investment, and what I think of as maternal investment. Yeah, 
Well, I do. Th- I do think that men can do nurturing too. They just have, of course, been t- uh, taught and told that they are not to be uh, mothers, and so they're they they have to do something else. Yeah. And so many of them in our society, anyway, have have not been able to have that experience, and so they they don't and they have to do something else which is the problem because i think this way this learning nurturing by experiencing it with your child is really a very important thing that women get to do and and uh that it that it, that is one thing that we need to be able to pass on to everybody uh not just to women but certainly to women and but as well as to men yeah, that's so much what the women's movement tried to do. We the men started to do more childcare, you know, be uh, in the birthing process and things like that. Yeah, yeah, and that's very important. But it hasn't changed uh, patriarchal capitalism. No. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so yeah. we're still making wars, just lickety split, and and even when the men are nurturing the children, so that I mean, so we have to change the paradigm onto the nurturing way rather than onto the patriarchal um, violence way. Yes. Uh, yeah. Maybe we can talk about that too later. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things that, um, one of the phrases that really uh, jumped out at me that I absolutely love is um, giving two needs. So this idea of that the gift economy is, is giving two needs rather than establishing a system of barter or plundering from other people who have because we want so that it is it is a need-based system yeah absolutely and if you satisfy the other person's needs then the other person can also be in enough abundance to satisfy even other people's needs and the gifts can go around it's by because we stop the gift, every time we exchange, it's no longer a gift. And each person gets what they've exchanged for and the gift does not go around. So we, you can create community by giving and receiving and giving and receiving uh, through a lot of different people. In fact, community, co-munity, is giving gifts together. Co is together. Muni means gifts in Latin. And T is just the, so it's communication and community are both based on that. Are based on gifts. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Now we have this, um, we have this exchange economy and um, can you talk a little bit about how uh, the relationship between the gift economy and the exchange economy and how the exchange economy essentially requires the gift economy to prop it up? Yeah. Yeah, well, it's not only that, it's worse. It's really the exchange economy is a parasite on the gift economy. The gift economy gives to the exchange economy and the exchange economy takes it without giving anything to the gift economy or giving less. So that this is, you can see that in the parasitism of our society on nature, which is, you know, 
creating the end of the world right now. And um, also the market on the so-called domestic sphere, uh, where that is not considered uh, as valuable. And the uh, actually, I, I think the Marxist idea of surplus value, which is what Marx considers the basis of profit, that surplus value comes from surplus work. That is for the work that the, uh, the part of the work that is not actually paid for in the salary. Um, and so that part of the work is a gift from the worker to the capitalist. And the same thing with the domestic work. That work that nurtures the worker flows through the worker into the uh, surplus work and surplus value. So that is uh, also a gift to the capitalist. And it's a whole area of gifts, both of, of the that part of free work that, that is not included in the salary and uh, the part of the domestic work and the part of the work of nature are the gifts of nature that are, are that are kind of siphoned up into into profit, and uh, the the capitalists think they make the profit. They don't right. see it as a gift at all. Right, it's what they deserve. It's like they they it's an exchange, and uh, it's actually the way that we hide the way our system works. We hide this gifting whole gifting aspect of life and. Uh, of nature and of women and of men. So I think we we need to completely uh, refocus our, 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 our glasses when we're looking at how our economy works. Right, and, right. Can we, can we uh, think, of, I'm just thinking in terms of our listeners who, um, who may want more practical examples of uh, what we're talking about here when we talk about, you know, Marxist uh, theory ideas and stuff like that. Um, so, for instance, the way in which uh, the the gift economy gives so that that worker can then generate surplus value, would an example of that be, say, that someone is at home um, making food for the worker to take to work with them so that they can only they only get a half hour lunch break, which is only enough time to eat food that's already prepared, so that the worker can continue to give a full day's work to the factory in which that worker works. Is that am I understanding yeah, that correctly? Yeah, that's certainly part of it. It's a good example, but um, the surplus value is that the the uh, worker gets paid enough for his or her own reproduction, that is, to, to be able to live. Uh, but the value of the product is more than that, and people who buy it pay more than that. And so the, the, the capitalist gets the difference between what it costs for the worker to survive and the, worker, and the worker's wife, if she's, if she's uh, doing the the housework free in their house or even the work the wife herself if she's working she still has to do the the domestic work and so mm -hmm. that all of that that free labor 
that permits uh, the cost of living of the worker and the family to be relatively doable uh, is not included in the salary. That is included in the salary, but all the rest of the profit that the, that the uh, capitalist makes is not. And so this, the cost of the salary is less than the value of the product that the worker makes. So the obvious example is uh, Jeff Bezos and Amazon workers. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that that makes it concrete. Ripped from today's headlines. <laughs> Absolutely. And then, of course, I'll go. Go ahead, oh, go ahead Vicky. <laughs> I was just remembering Jeff Bezos coming back from his stupid little rocket rocket trip and saying thanking the workers at Amazon for paying for it. He actually used those words. Yes. Yes, wow. he did. Yes, he did. Wow. In Jen, a stunning Jen, lack of ability to read the room. Yeah. 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 Jen, I'm curious that was in terms of gift to him. <laughs> right. Jen, I was just curious in terms of the, the Marxist theory of you know where capital plays into that. Because what I'm hearing, and I think some listeners will, you know, the, the typical response is, well, that difference between what the value that the person pays for the for the object that was produced versus the the amount that was given for the worker to survive is the difference the value of the the owner's investment in work so how does the how does the this theory of the gift economy how does it um handle that notion that concept so where does that fit in how does that work well, I just see capital as an accumulation of gifts, of all of these gifts. That's how they, that's how you make it. <laughs> and uh, so I don't, it does not perturb me at all that, that, uh, that that is, I mean, it, it, it is the big problem that that is all gifting. Uh, then they take it and, and reinvest it. And so that also, goes through the worker and the uh, know, machinery that the capitalist has bought and uh, you know the means of production and everything and then it, that is again siphoned off into these uh, profit and so it becomes a gift again so it's just a gift producing mechanism and the gift is included or accumulated in capital more and more and more. So now we have these tremendous billionaires or trillionaires that have all of this huge capital that they've gotten from the work of the many and from nature. Yes. And now we're, we're also, you know, commodifying water. How is that possible? Yeah. Whatever was free is now commodified. And and people are having to buy it and give that gift their 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 gift of their hard earned uh, money to the to to be part of capital. I you know it's yeah it's a yeah totally I mean backward system. You think of Flint, Michigan, who still, by the way, still does not have clean water, right. and how how that laid bare the the stunning. Um, attitude that uh, the people, the citizens of this country are not entitled to clean water. They're not entitled to clean water. They have to buy it. Or that we in California talk endlessly about drought 
and how to uh, how to save water in our yards and our gardens and so on. While Nestle is given permission to take the water from the ground water, right. and uh, they're depleting and, our our reserves and right. selling it back to us at it's airports, you know, selling it to us. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, and that's happening all over the country. I think in things where Coca Cola and other, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, big companies are stealing the water from the public. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And there is, sorry, go ahead. Just while complaining loudly that uh, we're running out of water. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was, there's a wonderful, um, oh, there's a wonderful expose that uh, another podcast called Throughline did on the whole um, don't be a litter bug and the whole sort of um, uh, way that um, waste the responsibility for not producing too much waste has been shifted onto the individual rather Mm -hmm. than the companies that are, that engineered the switch from renewable products like glass bottles that were then, you know, recycled to disposable plastic um, and, uh, and took no responsibility for cleaning up the waste after they, created it and flooded the market with it so yeah Yeah. you cannot solve systemic problems with individual solutions once again once again one of the things i've wondered i mean and don we've talked about this and jen i'm just curious about it too as we as you look at that problem so we have this issue and it's 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 certainly for Nearly two centuries, we've in an advanced Western capitalism, you got the issue of this accumulation of wealth. So the gift economy as a solution and as a way of looking, as a framework of understanding it, what I I keep wondering, you guys have brought up the example of Bezos and some of the other billionaires, but how do you get around the model that already exists? What are, what are some of the means? And, and forgive me, Jen, I, I'm not as, as familiar with the movement as everyone else is uh, on the podcast, but what are the means of getting towards a, a system that can, kind, can, that can be a response to what we are with now, which is a system where you have these vast extremes of wealth, this wealth disparity with a very small percentage of, the population controlling a very large percentage of the wealth. So how how do we get around it with this kind of what's the theory of how we how we address it practically today? Well, I think we need to shift the paradigm. We need to be able to understand um the, the world through the eyes of the gift paradigm and see how the exchange paradigm is is ripping it off and and where the exchange paradigm, the market itself, is the problem. And uh, one part of the gift paradigm, for example, I think is when, uh, as mothers um, give to children, they give value to children. And this this enhances the children's self-esteem. And so when children receive, when and, and then as they become adults, they receive, what are gifts, uh, their self-esteem is, is enhanced and um, also. And I think that even though we don't realize that profit is a gift, when we get profit, 
it enhances our self-esteem. And, and we don't see that uh, we are sacrificing so many other people to get it. And, uh, and so this may, means that these guys at the top, like Bezos or, or, um, or, or Musk, are, are really, um, their self-esteem has been enhanced a whole lot by getting so very much profit, okay. <laughs> so very many gifts. But once you tell them that those are gifts... That might puncture the balloon a little bit. I don't know for sure, but it might. Yeah. And uh, so I, I do think we need a, a different kind of psychology that takes into account the whole uh, gift gift uh, paradigm. And, and we need to reinstate the importance of mothering. The importance of giving and receiving and uh, the importance of the domestic sphere. We need to be able to say that free is, is, is the basic economy. Free is not just some, uh, um, what are you, some kind of a, a sale in, the, in commerce where you get something for a little bit less. Uh, or um, some kind of other thing that, in fact, free free things seem to be less valuable than, than things you buy. Um, so we need to re-enhance free as an important thing and see that it really is an economy and it coexists with the exchange economy. So I really believe we made a mistake, you know, a long time ago when we when we started doing exchange and exchange for money. And uh, that, at least uh, some say this is actual money started uh, in about 600 BC in Lydia. And that was at least when coinage started. And there is a guy named Alfred Sonrathel who says that that's where abstract thinking started too, that by doing something abstract like exchanging money uh, for goods uh, created a abstract ways of thinking and he went on and you know talked about it in philosophy and so on on through like Newton and Kant and so on and now there are lots of people that are following his ideas and uh, I think that that is an important uh, part of what our economy is it, it does is it makes us think in abstract ways and kind of distances us from one another uh, and we don't recognize needs as needs or as having to do with that other person we really just recognize needs as a way of selling them something and yeah. uh, and, and yeah. so we've gotten way off of who we are as community beings as beings that are uh, live together in 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 the world and in a, in a world that gives to us i mean i think all of our perception is also based on receiving the perceptions yes. of the uh, of the world around us um and our whole philosophy does not see that it right. doesn't see mothering it doesn't see the free giving. And so uh, it's all abstract. All the academic philosophy is abstract in that way. Um, and uh, it, 
it needs to be really turned over. Um, and so that's one of the ways I see of, of solving the big problems that we have is to have a paradigm shift in which we begin to see how things are different and we stop valuing uh, the, the money and, and having a lot of money as the main goal in life for so many people. Right. Right. Um, and I think probably um, that we need a, a, a revolution of the bourgeoisie, not the, <laughs> so the people that have it have got to put it down. <laughs> and how Ooh. can we do that? Yeah, right. Other than burn it all down, which is, you know, always an option, but, uh, but you know, would hurt a lot of people in the process. No, it's happening already. It's burning down on its own. That's there the we go. The whole world is on, on fire and on flood, and it's just not possible anymore. We have to realize everybody's seeing that. Even rich people see that. They may think they can go find a some special place in some rainforest or something, but the rainforest is not going to be there anymore either. And right. what will their children think of them? You know, the whole thing has just got to be changed really radically. And I'm, I'm just trying to provide a, a, a radical solution and sort of point in that direction without actually saying, you know, do this, do that, do, do the other. But, but I do think that, any, that one of the things we can do is to see the gifts wherever they are. Right. And uh, start thinking along those lines. And if we do, maybe the people with the money will think of that, too, you know. And so I, I think I think that's the way. I, at least that's the way I, I, I would suggest. Naming yeah. gifts. Uh-huh. Naming gifts. Absolutely. And I'm thinking now in terms of um, the personal sphere, naming gifts in the personal sphere and thinking about um, the second shift. Arlie Hochschild's The Second Shift and how it has been sort of in the domestic sphere, it has been the expectation that um, that women provide all of that home labor, child rearing, food preparation, and then the the emotional labor of sort of being the heart of the home, that all of that is sort of expected just to that that's what women do as opposed to those are gifts that yep. women are giving yeah it's all gift economy that's it we, we have these two economies and one the exchange economy is parasitic on the maternal gift economy the women in the home right you know, that is, and we collaborate with our oppressors let's say yeah. <laughs> but we become oppressors too so that is you know it's not it's not all just one way, and and we do also have to. We're made to depend upon the market in order to have the wherewithal to to give to our families. So uh, we we're caught in a trap. But if we realize it, we can do something about it. If we don't realize it, we're going to keep on in the same squirrel cage. Over yes. Yeah. Yes, and this and the reasoning is always circular in some way. We're we're caught in it. The way feminists in the seventies described heterosexual partnering as sleeping with the enemy—that it's yeah. very complicated when you're you're in a love relationship with the 
the uh, dominant submission thing itself. And I think I, I, as you're talking, I'm seeing the parasite of the of the exchange economy on the gift economy in the same way. You know, we we have to pay the rent, we have to do work and get paid for it somehow. We have to, we have to participate. And yeah. so we're, we're like a, a captive in some way yeah. to capitalism while trying to tear it down. It's very complex. Right. But if, if, if a number of people realize that, then I think you can actually start other ways of living, do eco-villages. A lot of people have, and a lot of people in the eco-villages do gift economy without even naming it that. Uh-huh. Right. But, and they certainly don't name it as maternal gift economy. But if they did, I think that it's important to see the roots of it and yes. to see that it is actually pan-human, that we are actually a gifting species, not a, not an exchange market species at all, and, uh, and be in a maternal species. So I call, our, I call us homo donans, not homo sapiens. Because don donare don don oh, donon donans means the giving, the giving being rather than the knowing being. Uh, uh-huh. It's more important to give than to know because uh, we don't know that we are giving. That's the main problem. Yeah. <laughs> so it makes me think of something, uh, Vicky, uh, especially that I think part of that too is just the conception and particularly probably particularly for men, is the conception that the way things are are not the way they are naturally or always have been. And, and what it makes me think of, Vicky, is when you, you know, when we all start, uh, you, Don, and I start talking about the origins of matriarchy and the what pre, what had existed prior to, quote unquote, the, the beginning of civilization, the, the idea that most people believe that this kind of the kind of patriarchal warfare paradigm, the Yamnaya paradigm that John, Don and I always joke about, is the natural paradigm as opposed to an aberration. And yes. then once you start to see it, that oh wait a minute, there is something else, and it can be another way. And so this, Jen, makes me think what you were saying about free as the basis of things. If people can conceive that you know there there had existed a time when this kind of behavior was true. And it predates what you consider natural, inescapable human behavior. I think that's probably one of the most important things to be able to get through to people, that what you think of, what we think of in modern culture as being natural, warfare, dominion, exploitation of resources is not natural. And if people can get to that and see the proof of it, that could help. But it's interesting, you know, we've talked about, Jen, where discoveries people are making about pre, quote unquote, pre-history uh, uh, civilizations, and they miss, as you were saying, the maternal or the matriarchal aspect of these civilizations, as we find anthropologists saying, oh, yeah, I guess there were, there, it was possible to have a civilization that's not based on warfare, but making no connection to the matriarchal aspect of it. Uh-huh, so right. that's a very long way of saying, yeah, we just have to get maybe a new paradigm that people could believe actually existed. And, and I think the brilliant thing that Jen has done, and, and Jen, I, you know, feel free to correct me on this, but I think the brilliant thing that Jen has done is is taken that and, and put it into an individual 
uh, experience as well, which is not only did this, you know, was this prevalent in quote unquote prehistory, but at the beginning of each and every one of our lives, yes, yeah. we have had this experience. Yeah. It's matriarchy in the very beginning of each life. Yes. Yes. And yeah, the, the, the matriarchal values of mothering and nurturing, which the entire society practiced, not just, not just the female ones, and the idea that we could not develop as human beings unless these conditions of gifting and the matriarchal values existed. Right. And we do even now. And I mean, we have, like I, like I said in the beginning, we have sort of washed out the whole matriarchal or gift paradigm from our, our academia. So we don't look at language as having anything to do with giving and receiving. We're looking at it as an abstract structure. And so many other things as well. We look at them as, as abstract things, and even as I was saying before, perception. Uh, we, the, the world seems to be made of abstract structures and not of the giving and receiving is not included in those and is not seen as the basis of all of those. So. And isn't that interesting that that could happen at the same time that our culture has become so deeply materialistic to the point where we almost don't uh, even appreciate or take into account invisible forces uh, the way that I think people always did in the past. Yeah, that, I think that the, the materialism really depends on the market and exchange and the commodification. So it's all about material uh -huh. things. And, yes, uh, what you said earlier, Genevieve, about uh, about um, creating a need as opposed to having a need. Right. That the you know the the structure the, the the economy as it exists, you know, products have to create a need in order to be able to sell that product. Right. Whereas, rather than attending to the needs that every human being has. Yeah, absolutely. I, I went to a supermarket the other day and just seeing this tons of different pro, uh, of of the same product of different kinds of uh, different brands of the same kind of product, just shelves after shelves where they're trying to attract the person that they have created that need to, for you know, for that product of. And then they, and so um, it's tremendous how how much we have deviated from the mother who feeds the child first milk, then uh, maybe the solid food, and then eventually, I don't know, uh, the pancakes that she makes. And the, the child's needs adjust to what she's, she's receiving. And are, they are educated. Her needs are educated by what the gifts that she's given so that when she's you know, 40, she remembers those pancakes. <laughs> right. Yeah, and, and, and that is part of her bond with her mother. Uh-huh. And we don't have these, the, the, the material objects are not really bonds with people. They're bonds with corporations. 
Nike, for example. Oh my gosh, it's so it's so deviated from what would make us happy, really, and what would make us a good community. Yes. Uh, and, and, and what would allow us to live with nature in a better way. It's really tragic. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. Um, any final thoughts? Any, um, anything that you feel like we didn't touch on that should be touched on? I, I always really like it when Jen talks about the, and we mentioned this earlier, but I'd like to have it be explicit. The, um, the fact that we all receive the original gift from, uh, from our mothers and the gift of nurture uh, and sustenance, um, boys and girls receive the gift equally. And yet boys are taught and socialized to move away from it. Could you talk about that a little bit more, Jen? Yeah, I think you've, I think you've said it quite well already, but uh, yes, all children need to have their gifts, their their needs satisfied free. They can't give back an equivalent, and they can't make it themselves. So they are dependent on somebody giving them something free. They also receive their breath free. They they receive the air mm. and, uh, around them as soon as they're born, and uh, our our um, our hearts take our blood to our uh, around to our cells, uh, oxygenate them, and then comes back to get oxygenated. So we have gifting going on at various different levels. Even the the leaves receive the light free and do the so photosynthesis. But anyway, uh, babies have to receive free, and they are in this mode of giving and receiving of receiving gifts and 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 then they also give the gift as you were saying of crying or uh, making noises or smiling and they that shows that they do have needs and what needs they might be then the the mother tries to figure that out and 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 does eventually so there's this is 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 going on um all the time and Little boys, until they're well, three, two or three years old, don't realize that they're anything different from this uh, model of mothering and being mothered. And uh, when they get to be older and they learn that girls are going to be like the mother and boys are going to not be like the mother, they're going to be like a father, or if they don't have a father, they don't have a role model. Um, maybe they find it on TV or something. Um, so they, but their their model is the not giving, and so they are really alienated into a sort of uh, no person's land where they have to find something that will structure their personalities that's not gifting. And when they 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 learn, I'm afraid hitting instead of gifting and that establishes relationships with other people and then that's I think um, relations of dominance instead of mutuality taking instead of giving and taking instead of giving and so that that it makes it uh, they're educated from very early on and that that is a place where we really 
by spreading the idea of the gift economy, we could change the education of little boys and show that gifting is human. It's the human thing, even if it's physically mothers who do it, uh, who give birth and who have breasts to nurture with milk. Uh, men can absolutely do it too. And uh, the, all of the world is, is really based on gifting. If we were in another planet, you know, it could be altogether gifting. We could see it that way. I, I once sort of dreamed that some people came from outer space and they said, what? You all are not doing gifting? The whole universe works. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> oh, I need to write that series. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, it's just so important because so often when we start using words like maternal, um, people immediately, I mean, from the academy, from feminist studies and all that, begin to talk about essentialism and make a, and, and accuse us of being essentialists. And I think your uh, development of this idea of little boys and little girls receiving the same gift and having it in, in us in equal amounts is so important. Uh, yeah. as yes, a, that it's a human thing to, yes. to learn the gift economy right. and what from brutal, birth. What a brutal thing for boys to have it yes. away from them. Really. Yes, absolutely. 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 Patriarchy hurts everyone. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah we're homo donans. Yes. Yes, I love that. I love that. Mm -hmm. Well, this... A mothering species. A, a mothering species, yes. And that that is not, that doesn't need to be limited to a male-female binary thing. It's Absolutely not. Yeah, that we are a mothering species, that we care for one another, all of us. It's a, it's a human thing. And we don't even have to go to another planet to find it. <laughs> I, I, when I first went to Bali in 1990 or 91, I was uh, I was shocked at, at the deepest level and moved, uh, and it changed my perception of reality to see the way the men carried the toddlers around all the time, the gentleness of the of the culture, and the the sacredness, the way they put all they were putting altars everywhere all the time, and mm -hmm. offerings, and you know. But mostly, I was really moved by the the way that men were completely uh, included and participatory in the family and the nurturing and the, the being around children. It was beautiful. Yeah, and, 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 and indigenous people uh, usually have not succumbed to the market model and so that, and they have maintained a lot of the gift economy so that they had and that the capitalist economy tried to abolish and take advantage of and steal the gifts of. So, yeah. Yes. Yes. And tried to dri drive it out of the culture through the children and taking all those children to the boarding schools. Yeah. Right. Re-educating them according to our exchange economy. Yeah. 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 We have done. Well, that there, you know, Sean asked earlier, how can we change? How can we change? And I think one of the answers to that is um, 
is looking back at the indigenous cultures that existed before, you know, we, we took over these places and tried to replace their quote unquote barbaric lives, um, you know, with these uh, capitalist ideals, um, that one of the things that we need to do as a people is to look, turn back to those indigenous cultures and, um, and allow them to re-educate us yep. on how better to live with each other and this planet. And understand why it was we were so rapacious and have still been like that, that, that our, our economy, our culture is, is just so exploitative and colonialist and invasive. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the patriarchal side of capitalism, but it's really, you know, both together are a mean beast. Yeah. Yes. I didn't say beast, because beast is an animal and they're not that mean. Absolutely, though. No, exactly what you mean. I think, uh, well, I mean, we certainly have struck a hopeful note in terms of what can be done and in terms of understanding of what had been done, as you mentioned, on indigenous life and and the history that existed before that which we were told is the basis of all human life. You know, we know that there was something that was earlier and that was different, that was more maternal. So um, I want to thank... Uh, Genevieve Vaughn for joining us today and giving us a real insight into this. I'll give the cheering crowd. And of course, the 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 completion of the trio, Vicky Noble. Thank you, Vicky, for thank you. always inspiring us. Thank you for asking. And Don, Sam, Alden, thank you, Don. Thank you, Sean. And thank you, Jen. Thank you. Thank you all. Everybody. It's been such a pleasure having you. And, uh, and I would, um, I would urge everyone to check out the, um, the uh, maternal gift economy, international feminists for the gift economy and the salon series that, that Jen has that's uh, moderated by Leticia Layson. Um, it's really just amazing. It's under maternal gift economy org. Yay. Yes. Thank uh, you. Cannot recommend it enough. It's it's eye-opening and educating and um, heartbreaking and heartwarming at the same time. So check it out. Thank you all for listening. This has been the 34 Cersei Salon, Make Matriarchy Great Again. We will be back again soon. Thank you, everyone, and blessed be. Blessed, blessed be. be.